Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, May the 6th, 2023. Uh, even though it's the weekend, uh, politics, particularly in America, doesn't rest. Lots of political news uh, in the media these days on the American front, especially on the right, on the Republican side. Uh, apparently, according to the New York Times, uh, most fake Trump electors have taken immunity deals in the Georgia voting case. Uh, the Florida legislature under uh, Ron DeSantis has passed uh, a bill banning gender transition. Um, the Proud Boys trial continues. I'm not sure it does a lot of good for the Republican Party. Uh, the Tucker Carlson tapes and texts scandal continues to fester. Um, and of course, there's the not uh, inconsiderable uh, fact about Donald Trump's rape trial in which 11 witnesses uh, testified this week. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything on the Republican side is uh, sort of a bizarre celebrity show of one kind or another. Biden's beginning to talk to McCarthy about the debt challenges. And uh, for the first time in 2020, there are going to be uh, elections uh, in Kentucky this time. So we'll be able to gauge what uh, American electors think about their two parties. One man who's given a great deal of thought to what the Republicans can do to seize back power, both in Congress and uh, the presidency, is my guest today, Carl Delfeld. Uh, he's the author of America uh, Power Rivals, a book about America and China. And he's not um, unabashed in suggesting that if the Republicans are to win, they need to win over independent Republicans. He has some interesting pieces uh, in national interest. Uh, Republicans take note, Delfeld said, independent voters decide elections. Um, and then he has an interesting recent piece in The Hill about how Republicans need independent voters and a pragmatic new approach. And I'm thrilled that uh, Carl is joining us from uh, just outside Washington, D.C. Carl, happy Saturday. Thank you so much for appearing on Keenon. Are you a voice in the wilderness? Does it even make sense for pragmatists, centrists like yourself to stay in the Republican Party? Well, I'm a, actually, if you look at my, my life, I'm a lifelong Republican. I've been a conservative Republican my whole life, and I, I still am. Um, but I see the next election. I mean, you hear this all the time. The next election is the most important election in the history. It's always of the most important, Carl, yeah, until the next one, the right? Important. But I think there's some trends that uh, are, are going on in the world that, that really point to this being a very important election. And the Republican Party, I think, has got to face some realities and the objective should be to win in 2024 and not just squeak out a win, you know, by one or two electoral votes. I mean, have a dis decisive win, a decisive agenda 
and and face the reality that America, the, the, the trend towards independence being much more important than they were in the past is as clear as a bell. I mean, some some uh, like Pew and uh, uh, other Gallup, some show the independent voters, meaning not registered as a Republican or Democrat, being as high as 50 percent. So even if you knock that down to the high 30s or 40 percent, and even if you take out the, the voters that say they're independent, but they lean one way or the other other way pretty consistently, you still have a 15 to 20 percent of the vote up for grabs. So the GOP has got to got to get a majority of that to to win to win in 2024. Carl, you're an insider. Um, you're not. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're making a convincing point. You certainly convinced me. It seems fairly self-evident. Mm -hmm. But when you talk to most Republican insiders, particularly those who are sympathetic to Donald Trump, I, I assume they dismiss you automatically. What kinds of conversations are taking place? You're an insider. You're just, yeah. uh, you live in D.C. Right. What kinds of conversations? What kinds of responses are you getting to this argument that if Republicans yeah. are going to seize back power, they need to win over independent voters. Well, it's kind of interesting. If you look back at 2016, uh, uh, Trump did pretty well among independents. Uh, you know, he, he What does he, that say he, about independence? Well, I don't know. Independence <laughs> really, it's a really a tough, uh, a, a lot, a, a interesting question is what is an independent? And it's just somebody that for whatever reason doesn't want to affiliate formally with one party or the other. It's a, a broad spectrum, of course, being, you know, 35, 40 percent of America. But if you talk to them, some of them, for example, I, I that's really what I do. I have this group called the Independent Republican. I don't know if you saw that. up. I have it up at Substack and we're going to organize that into a right. seven or something. And we want to play a role in this upcoming election. The whole objective of that is to persuade independents to vote Republican. So I talk to a lot of so-called independents. And some of them are former, voted for Trump twice, but they've left the Republican Party because of the spending and debt issue. I call them kind of fiscal Republicans or independents, right? Fiscal conservatives. And then there's others that, you know, it's a cultural issues. Um, some don't like, uh, you know, some don't like, uh, where, where the money's going, or some want to fix Social Security and entitlements. They're, they're really just all over the map. But the one point I would make, I think there's a misconception that they're not interested, they're apathetic, they're not in tune with the issues, um, they're moderate or mushy. I mean, that that's the perception a lot yeah, of Yeah, you don't have. seem very mushy to me, Dan. Yeah. Uh, you talk about your... The, uh, your Substack, uh, the Independent Republican. Yes. Are there politicians associated with this? I mean, are there? Well, are there yeah. people within the Republican Party who you think could uh, have the ability to reach independence? I assume you're not a big fan of of Trump. Well, I'll say this: the Independent Republican, and I make it pretty clear. I, I'm I'm open about my views, but it's not about this. Is not about me. This is about getting. Well, it is about you on my show. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. But my 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 point is the independent Republican is neutral, so we're not picking a candidate. You know, you got five or six Republican candidates. 
we, we you know we we talk about them the different issues we're more issue and agenda driven so and then of course there's the u.s china rivalry issue which i think should be front and center and i think the republicans can make a strong case that right. we i, I want to get to the china stuff um, okay, okay. It's, it's very interesting what you okay. argue but for better or worse Carl, you say it's not about you. Yeah. It, it may not be about you, but it is about certain dominant pol- uh, personalities. Right. To Trump, uh, I was going to say to Trump. DeSantis, of course, and a certain Donald uh, T. Trump. Y- you can't avoid the personalization right. of the Republican Party. Right, right. You can't just ignore it. No, no. But I will say I will say two things on that. The first is there are, and, 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 and this is not like, uh, as you said, the, the President Trump supporters um, uh, you know, probably think independence, uh, who cares about independence? They don't have any views. They're, like I said, apathetic, moderate, mushy. My, my, my point there is even if you take that view, turning out the base, and by the way, there's a lot of professional pollsters who have been very successful who have the same view that for the Republicans, it's all about getting the base excited, turning out the base conservative base. You don't agree with that, right? I don't agree. It's the the numbers aren't going to be there. The numbers aren't going to be there. And and the base, Carl, are the crazies. They're the proud boys. They're the racists. They're the the weirdos who believe in one kind of conspiracy theoryist or another. Yeah, some. some, I mean, they're all all over the map. They're all over the map. I mean, for example, I, in some ways, I'm, I'm the base. I consistently vote Republican. I've never voted for a Democrat my whole life. So, yeah, but so you're, the you're the old base. You're not the new <laughs> base. Yeah. But to, to answer your question, too, is that the other side is the other side, the Democrats, the Biden campaign is definitely reaching out to these independents. But I have a post today, by the way, that shows President Biden, since he's announced there's been some polls and he's doing very poorly among independents. So this is a major opportunity for the Republican Party. Well, uh, what? Um... What could you ever imagine an election where you voted Democratic? If, for example, Trump and Biden are the nominees again, would you vote for Trump? Would you? Did you vote for Trump last time around? Well, uh, I keep my my vote private, but I've, I I'll just say this: that well, I, no one watches I, this. I, uh, Carl, I just say so this: I've me. always voted Republican. Maybe that is it. So you would always vote. You voted for Trump both times. I mean, is there anything Trump could do to? discourage you from voting from maybe just simply not voting at all no i've always voted i voted in every president i mean you're not offended with the fact that the party seems to have picked a man who whose morality is 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 enormously suspect who's currently being tried Mm -hmm. on on rape uh, accusations who's clearly lied on many fronts who's hateful who's racist i mean at what point do you simply say enough is enough well, that's that's up to each voter. The voter. Well, but up decide. to you. Uh, we're talking well, about Carl Belfield. I'm I'm appearing in your show uh, on on behalf of the independent Republican. So I'm I'm neutral. I I, I really am. But, I, but I don't, don't you have to? If you if if you're gonna win, what mm-hmm. you're gonna win the the fight for the soul, or at least the vote of the independent voter right. within the Republican Party. Right. You have to be able to throw your weight around a little bit. If if you can't challenge the Republican Party, if you don't threaten at least mm-hmm. 
if not leaving the party, not voting for a candidate that you find troubling, then then what power do you have within the party well, itself? I, my my goal again, my goal, my challenge to the Republican Party is to reach out to independents. In other words, so so I, I think it's fair to say for myself personally and for all independents and Republicans to say, which one of the Republicans running now, or some are not even in the race yet. I don't think this, these pri this primary, I don't accept the fact that it's all done, that someone's going to win, everyone else is going to lose. We're just starting the process. So let's not get ahead of ourselves, but it is a fair question to ask, which candidate can win majority of the independents? And that's really what the people like you, the media, um, voters have to decide. And, and, and let, let's, let's, this is a process. Let's let it work out. Carl, we've had, an, and you're very familiar with these sorts of arguments and books, we've had a number of very distinguished writers and journalists on the show talking about how the Republican Party has essentially lost its mind. Robert Draper Texan journalist, has a new mm -hmm. book, Weapons of Mass Destruction. Dana Milbank, who I'm sure you read in the Washington Post, has a new book out, The Destructionists. Tom Edsel, who writes for the New York Times, uh, talks about the Republican Party's descent into what he calls minority authoritarianism, which is summarized in his new book, The Point of No Return. Do any of these guys, I mean, you're on the other side of the political aisle, but do the Edsels and the Drapers and the Milbanks, do they have a point? Uh, they're, they're concerned. They're obviously writing as Democrats, but they're also writing. Uh, they're also concerned as defenders of American democracy. And I think their feeling is that the American Republican Party has lost uh, its mooring. It's mooring particularly with American democracy. What, what, how would you respond to, to, to the Drapers and the Milbanks and the Edsels of the world? Well, I read, um, of course, I read broadly across the spectrum because I, I want to I know what, what everybody's thinking and saying. Um, but I, I know what I think, and I think uh, I'm, I'm proud to be uh, a member of the Republican Party, and I, I, I believe in it. I think it's, a, it's resilient, like America's resilient. So each election, a lot depends on the candidates, a lot depends on the election cycle. But so the, what I'm trying to do is impact the GOP agenda, their tone, their strategy, by focusing on the independent group, this huge group of voters, and sort of pushing the Republican Party and candidates to, to say, okay, what do we need to do to persuade this huge group to vote for the Republican Party? And that's an indirect way of answering your question and also trying to impact the future of the Republican Party and, and the country. Let me be more specific then in terms of some of the issues that need to be resolved. Sure. In terms of reaching independent voters, you believe mm -hmm. that they will decide the next election, as they've usually decided elections, mm -hmm. and there are more independent voters today than there have been historically. Mm -hmm. Do you think the Republican Party needs to acknowledge that the last presidential election was legitimate? Uh, I would say that it does no good to, to look back. And we saw that in the last cycle, that people that look backwards, uh, President Biden is President Biden, 
that's a that's a fact. That's a that's a legal constitutional fact. So I'm I'm looking forward forward to 2024. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't even go there. I wouldn't even talk about it. But, but it's not a question of you not going there. Everybody else is going there. Why can't well, you just fine. say you very clearly it, as I, it mm-hmm. seems to me a very sane, responsible yeah. Republican that people who believe that the last election was a fraud are deluded. Why not just say that? Well, they, t- take it, t- making that issue a prominent part of your platform, your, ge- your agenda or whatever you want to call it, is a proven loser. I don't, I don't agree with that strategy. I, I don't even talk about it. My focus really is on economic, financial, and national security. I think those, that's the issue that resonates most with independents. And can, I think the GOP can make the case that it will do better at managing all three of them. They're all connected now uh, in the age of U.S.-China rivalry. I, I think that's where candidates and the Republican Party should be if they want to win in 2024. Well, let's, let, let, let's um, jump into that. Your, your new book is called Power Rivals, America and China's Superpower Struggle. You believe, I think, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, that we're in, for better or worse, a new Cold War with China and that that winning independent voters and revitalizing the Republican Party will depend on redefining and perhaps revitalizing Americans' role in the world, particularly in the context of China. Tell me more about why you're so fearful of China, Carl. Well, I'm not sure I'm I'm fearful, but I'm very conscious that the U.S.-China rivalry is very different. It, it's America's in uncharted waters because in the past, say, uh, I first got interested in Asia through Japan, when Japan and the U.S. were going through this economic rivalry, which I'm sure you remember was was quite intense. Right, and you're a finan- your day job is as a financial analyst, so you do a lot of work uh, in international yeah. financial markets. I, I guess I'd call myself an Asia analyst, financial a- analyst, writer, uh, and of course, politics is an important part of, of what I think about and, and get involved in. So, but but then even you look at the Soviet Union, the the last Cold War uh, was was quite 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 intense as well. But that was primarily military, right, and and somewhat ideological. But there was no economic issue at all. Whereas with China, China first of all is four times the size of America. Uh, the scale and speed at which they've risen is uh, uh, breathtaking, and and it's a military rival, it's a ideological rival, and it's very much an economic rival uh, in technology and finance. So uh, uh, down down just down the highway here at the Pentagon, they call it a full spectrum peer rival. So that's why I I think we've been complacent. It's changed. I moved here five years ago from Colorado. I, I noticed that we're less complacent, but we still need to do a lot more uh, to to recognize and also uh, educate the American people that this is this is going to be a rivalry that's going to go on for some time, and we really we really need to focus on uh, well winning uh, because. A lot, you know, what is, what, but Carl, what does winning, uh, and borrow that yeah. word from you, what does winning mean? Well, in terms of independent voters, who mm-hmm. my guess is in socioeconomic terms, they tend to be middle class, not wealthy mm-hmm. in this country. Right. They benefited from cheap goods made in China. Why, why is China 
a challenge to independent voters in America? What's China done to them? Well, China, it's about what China has done and what it plans to do. Um, and what, what, what China's goal is to, it's, it's in many, in some ways, it's already an Asian superpower. It represents half of Asian GDP, half of Asia military spending. Um, it's gone from, for example, in two, just we can, I mean, it'll take a few minutes, but I can go through the quick history of the relationship and rivalry, which goes back. Well, do it briefly. It's oh, okay. something well, you've written about. When you, go, when you go back to the very beginning of America, right after the Revolutionary War, China was the clear superpower. They were the dominant economic power in the world, and America was a fledgling frontier market. And then basically over that next century and a half, the U.S. rose in power to become the leading manufacturing trading company in the country in the world. China turned inward, isolationist, lost, fell behind in technology, political instability, and we all know that led to uh, uh, the rise of the Communist Party, and, and the U.S., of course, went on to become a superpower. Uh, now China wants to, the, the subtitle of my book is America and China's superpower struggle. America is struggling to stay the leading country in the world. That's another way to put it. The leading, most influential, strongest country in the world. And China is trying to, is struggling to become and step into that role. So that has enormous complications economically, like from, from the stock market to jobs, to U.S. economy, to um, our national security, yeah, I, I take that point. But most of the wealth in this country, as you know, is concentrated on the coast amongst uh, an enormously rich new right. class. Mm -hmm. Why should that impact on independent voters? Why, 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 why should they be challenged by China? A lot of trade, yeah. importing, cheap goods. Isn't that good for them? Well, I, I would I would I would look at the flip side. So in the 80s and 90s, when we China opened up to the world economy, what did the U.S. do? We basically essentially moved our industrial capacity, our industrial base to China to take advantage of the low wages uh, and to increase profits. Right. So I would I would I would say, how did that help uh, how did that well, happen? Now, now we have relatively cheap iPhones. Well, great, great. But that's that's not all people want. People want economic security and financial security for themselves, for their family, for their grandkids. They don't want just cheap iPhones. They want they want a, a okay. A, I take your point. So there's a great debate, as you know, Carl, at the moment about whether or not TikTok should be banned in the U.S. Should an American administration, should they punish companies that open factories in China, like Apple? Well, you know, Apple produces 90% of, their, uh, of their, their products in China. Now they're trying to shift a little bit to India and Vietnam and so on. You know, yes, would I, would I pr much prefer if Apple would have manufactured, what I would, what I would have loved to have happened, and I, you know, I wish it could happen now, I wish Apple would move its production to the United States or a portion of the production. So yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that Apple made that decision, uh, but it's, you know, that, that's- but Would you like to see if, it, it, would there be a way, for example, for a Republican presidential nominee or a president 
to make the argument that laws need to be changed to essentially force companies like Apple to reopen their factories in the United States and close them in China? I mean, it's all very well saying you'd yeah. rather right. have those factories in America, but we'd all rather have certain things, most well, of which for, can't be realized. The way I would answer that is I, I would be all for incentives to get uh, American uh, companies to, to move to invest more in America. I mean, that's really what we need. We need investment in America, not just government investment, you know, piling up the national debt with some of the programs that President Biden and the Democrats have put in place, sometimes with Republican votes. I, I admit that. I, I really, what I think we really need is international and U.S. private investment in America to generate, you know, growth, economic growth here. So, yes, I would like to be strategically decoupling from China, especially in uh, very important dual-use technologies. Yes, I, I, I buy into that, that argument. I think it's very important. I think it was a huge mistake to move our industrial base to China. We've done many shows on China, one with a young journalist, Isaac Stone Fish, um, who believes that American elites have been duped by the Chinese. Sometimes they're in the pay of the Chinese. Is there a cultural war going on, um, Carl, between China and the United States? Do we need well, to be think, more resistant to yeah. Chinese money propaganda? Well, I think it's just, uh, I mean, you could call it capitalism, and you can even call it democratic capitalism. When you look at the history of U.S.-China relations over the last four decades, and that's the rise from, say, 78, 79, when Deng Xiaoping came to power till today, uh, basically what happened is China started small and then gained momentum. And what really pushed uh, their economy forward and their power forward is what I just described, Americans, American companies, not just American companies, but Japanese, Korean, European companies invested huge amounts of money into China and shared technology in return for lower cost, higher profits, and the, the potential to access the, the huge Chinese market. So the, definitely the Chinese used capitalism, basically turned capitalism against us to hurt us, hurt our, our, our economic security, and to help make China a stronger country. Now, I don't think there's any like grand conspiracy. I just think that was how the market worked. Um, and it, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, but this is, this, is, this is the American system. It's very stock market driven. I mean, if you look at stock, for example, I, I call America stock market superpower. It clearly is because half of the value of all companies listed on all exchanges, stock exchanges all over the world are American. So, you know, yes, if you happen to own stock, uh, a lot of stock, you, you've done very well. Uh, but I think where we need to put more emphasis uh, is on creating the jobs, the, the industry and the jobs that even people that don't own a share of stock that's so, a very interesting argument, Carl, but I'm not sure it's that much different from many Democrats. It certainly seems very centrist. Yeah. Finally, let's end on um, some military stuff on China. Yeah. You've also written extensively on 
uh, what you call the high price of the U.S. military industrial congressional complex. What should American policy be on Taiwan? It seems likely that at some point in the 2020s, the issue mm-hmm. of Taiwan is going to come to the boil. What advice would yeah. you give a Republican in terms of this new power rivalry, as you put it, with China? Right, right. Yeah, ch- ch- uh, Taiwan is definitely the the biggest flashpoint, I would, I would say. And, you know, in my book, I talk about, you know, remember the Iron Curtain, uh, which we, we won't have time to talk to. The Iron Curtain is alive and well again and in flames with the, with the Ukraine uh, conflict. But what I talk about in my book is what we, we have in Asia is what I call the Silk Curtain. That Silk Curtain descends, you know, from, you know, Korea down uh, through the East China Sea, through Taiwan, and then down south. So Taiwan is a very, very important issue. And what I would say about Taiwan is our goal is really quite simple. It's to maintain the status quo, that Taiwan is a democratic, self-governing island, and it it has the freedom to elect its leaders. And we have a presidential election next year, which will be very, very important to, to watch. And that the U.S. will is is committed to helping Taiwan defend itself, and so I think more hard power, a rebalancing of assets towards Asia to deter China uh, regarding Taiwan is very important. But the Taiwanese also have a huge role to play in defending themselves. 